Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Okay, we're here. I'll show you. Dude, this is a national ballpark museum. They've got displays about all the great old ballparks, not old ball players. And I do mean old. Hey, that's not what I heard. I heard they got a display that features the first homegrown color Rocky. That would be me. Okay, look, there's Bruce Hellerstein over there. He owns the place. Let's go ask him. Hey, that's fine with me. Hi, Bruce. How's it going? Manny, Mark, good to see you guys. Come on in. Hey, Bruce, Manny here doesn't believe me. He doesn't believe you've got a Mark Knudsen display here at your museum. Well, he's sort of right. Right over here, we've got a display all about the Denver Zephyrs. I'm pretty sure Mark's Zephyrs baseball card is in there somewhere. Oh, his minor league card. I got you. Hey, it's something, right? If you say so. So, you two just come down here to see the displays? Actually, we're getting ready to do our podcast. Oh, wow. That's great. I had no idea they let you back on the air, Mark. What's your show called? It's the Park Adjusted Rockies Podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Mark Knudsen and Manny Randawa. Give me a Knudsen. Knudsen! Thank you. Will they try to compete, or is 2023 a full-on rebuilding season? This week on the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast, we check in with DNVR's outstanding Rockies beat writer, Patrick Lyons, to get his slant on what fans should expect when they visit Coors Field this spring. Lots of young players will don the purple pinstripes this season. How many will give us a memorable season? We ask Patrick for his take next on the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. We're back right after this. For the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars past and present, look no further than denverautographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations, Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall. Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at denverautographs.com. The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out stoneysbarandgrill.com. Happy New Year, Manny. Hope everyone had a great holiday and we're ready for a big 2023 uh, question. Obviously, we've talked about this before on this on this program. How big do we think the Colorado Rockies are actually thinking for 2023? You know, we got the new wild expanded wild card playoff format. Heck, half the National League can reach the postseason now. But are the Rockies thinking postseason or are they actually quietly embracing the idea of rebuilding the R word? What do you think? Yeah, you know, it's a good question. I think we, we've talked about our uh, what we feel about it. Um, we're going to bring in the great Patrick Lyons of DNVR, the lead Rockies man at, at DNVR, and we're uh, happy to have him on. Patrick, welcome, and we'll jump right in. What do you think between those two uh, polls? Uh, where are the Rockies right now? Well, they, they're undoubtedly uh, in, in more of a rebuild mode. Uh, I, I think there's been plenty of seasons. But but are they thinking that way? Well, I, what yeah, what I was going to add was that uh, there there are times in which they think they're more contenders than than rebuilders, and and even now in this mode uh, of rebuilding, uh, I I think they they're they're embracing it a little bit more than normal um, because you know at the winter meetings you know Bill Schmidt did say when we were you know discussing some of the the left-handed hitting outfield options that we don't want to block any of our young guys, and I think that was somewhat uh, of an admittance that. Look, they, they don't want to just maybe you know, bring in players uh, for a short time, a short period of, of time on, on a short-term deal or even something long-term, that they are, they're actually looking at a window of contention. I, I don't know that they've uh, really done that too much in the past, but they, they, they want to say maybe 2024 20, late in the season, maybe they'll make it interesting, 25, 26, 27. 
I think now they finally almost realize like, hey, here is our opportunity. It's almost what they were able to do in 2016, 17, 18, and 19, where they had that core together. I think they are they are embracing this idea that they are waiting for their next contending ball club. See, I, I think that's history as a guide. I think that's a little bit dangerous to look that far down the road, 26, 27 down the road, because the last time we went through this was early 2000s. Um, Todd and the toddlers, Gen R, all that business. And it took them basically six to seven years to, to build a World Series team, which they did. Uh, maybe in some people call that Manny a fluky World Series team, but nonetheless, they built that team. But during that time was the only real time in Rockies history where attendance sagged, where, where interest sagged, where people weren't buying into the rebuilding idea and because they were actively promoting it. Um, you say that they don't want to block their younger players, but there are positions like center field where there's really nobody to be blocked at this moment, right? Yeah, no, I, I would agree. Jonathan Daz is the guy in, in center field right now. Uh, unless they do something different, uh, I think I think a lot of the, the available left-handed hitting outfielders uh, that can possibly play center field are more horizontal moves than anything. Maybe, you know, you're excited by Jackie Bradley Jr. for one year and uh, you can catch lightning in a bottle. But again, lightning in a bottle for its team might mean winning 78 games 79 80 games it's not going to be a playoff contender uh and I, th I think they're they're putting their eggs in that basket for the future more so than trying to you know sign a guy like brandon nimmo who seemed to be top tops on their list and again in san diego bill schmidt realized uh you know what his market's going to be a lot uh, higher than uh, we anticipated and cody bellinger much better fit with uh someone like the chicago cubs who will trade him at the deadline and therefore will wipe away, you know, any uh, possibility of him receiving a qualifying offer. So now he can go out and make even more in free agency. You don't have that same guarantee with the Rockies who uh, we know have some difficulty in finding or agreeing with trade partners. So, well I, I, I look, That's I well think, put. I think, uh, yeah, he didn't even have to mention Range Rovers. Um, <laughs> so I think, I, I think that uh, I agree with Patrick and, and I think it's a really good thing for this organization that they are finally they're not saying the quiet part out loud which is the yep. r word but yep. i think that they there may be a realization finally or it might finally being getting being may have finally made its way all the way to the top that no, no we we need to we need to just let's let's evaluate what we've got in terms of our young talent and then let's start to really make decisions based on that information um and that's not going to be we're not going to know that for you know another year or two so I think that's a good thing. I think that um, with respect to they should have done this years ago, but with respect to the um, attendance thing, um, there's this kind of there's this kind of conflict. I mean, there's this kind of con conflicting um, situation where you've got like there people show up for a team that wins 70 games, 72 games, and they're like, what, eighth in attendance or something like that yeah. in, in baseball? And yet they're worried about attendance if they start to play the young guys and start to kind of just start to do the R, R word thing, but not out loud. So signing Chris Bryant, while peculiar still to me to this day, may actually take care of that problem. You go out there to see Chris Bryant, you sell Chris Bryant jerseys, and then it's Chris and the kids, right? Then the rest of them play around him. And then then you can you can have Chris Bryant in there, right? And he and he can do what he loves to do. We talked to him 
about this and he's, he keeps mentioning he's like i, I want to be the mentor to these guys i want to be you know this is what i want to do now I, I i was the young guy and i got I had people help me and now i want to i want a world series now i want to be that guy for other people so let them be that let them do that and then the rest of the guys who are coming up tolia the tolias the tovars etc cetera, etc cetera, the materos let them play and see what you've got over the next couple of years and then put yourself in a position where you can actually compete i think that's a good thing for this franchise and it might kind of by accident all be coming together just a few years too late not too late but a few years late i think we all agree that going the big free agent route has been such a disaster for this team over the years starting with the ian desmonds and wade davis's and all that business i mean it was just terrible what was it a negative 50 something war it was just hideous so they don't do that well. They don't do free agents well. At least they haven't. We haven't. Bill Schmidt really hasn't had an opportunity yet because we know Dick Moffert was behind the Chris Bryant signing. So we can't really put that on Bill Schmidt. But what we can wonder about is the trade thing. As Patrick brought up a little bit earlier, historically, going way back three decades, they've not done trading very well either. I think the best trade in, in team history, in my opinion, is Matt Holiday for Carlos Gonzalez. I mean, that was a, almost a wash, right? That was an all-star for a future all-star. Other than that, they haven't done trades good. <laughs> um, to me, if you're not going to be a free agent player, at least you got to know how to trade to get to develop assets, acquire assets, to to do something where okay, now we have more than just our draft picks because we figure what two out of every draft, two guys out of every draft are going to make it. We we learned that earlier this offseason, Manny, that roughly two out of every draft make your big league team. Um, that being the case, you got to get other people's draft picks. You got to get other people's guys that could, can help you if you're going to rebuild. You can't just rebuild with only your farm system. Why, Patrick, are they so bad at trading? And is there some sort of a, I don't know, a, a cloud hanging over the idea? Why do they not do better at that? I think a lot of that could just have to do with their just over evaluation or, or their valuation of their own players. And that uh, I think they are a little bit worried about. You know, losing a trade and and what comes with that. You know, Bill Smith said uh, when he was still the the interim GM in 2021, is is you know he, he said a quiet part out loud uh, to use Manny's phrase that you know we're not a minor league system for the Dodgers. That actually I think speaks volumes as to what's going on inside the mind that there is this this kind of uh, sensitivity towards looking a certain way, like oh no, we're bringing away a very talented veteran player, and we're bringing back a young player. Oh no, we're we're the Oakland Athletics, or we're clearly a rebuilding team. When uh, going back to to your point that the great holiday for Carlos Gonzalez and Houston Street, uh, they they traded away a, a, an all star, but they got back a very young player who was unproven that eventually ended up becoming uh, an all star himself. So those are the kind of deals that they need to. Uh, look out for and, and and do more of. I mean, you could say the same thing with the Herman Marquez trade, where you know they they were giving up a guy that they liked in, in Corey Dickerson, uh, brought in a lefty in, in Jake McGee, but it was the prospect that they ended up getting from the Rays that ended up uh, being so valuable. Right now, uh, we had those rumors uh, over the weekend with with John Heyman saying that uh, Bill Schmidt had, had contacted uh, Kim Ang and, and the Miami Marlins in, in uh, having some interest with Edward Cabrera, the 24-year-old starting pitcher who had a three ERA last year. And a, and a, and a 96-mile-an-hour changeup. We, we we saw that at Coors Field. That was his 2022 debut. Six innings pitch, gave up one hit, no runs, four walks, but struck out nine Rockies there in game one of the doubleheader on first. And the Marlins said, well, we would love to have Brendan Rodgers back. So now a trade like that, you know, what what does the, the national media think of of a deal like that who cares 
if you if you think that this is a, a good trade for your organization, especially when you have a guy like Ryan McMahon who can move over to second base, you understand that Elias Montero is a little unproven uh, at third base. That's fine. Adeo Amador is coming up through the system, so uh, you have another guy that could be a really good second baseman. Julio Carreras is on the 40-man. You've got those options. Coupled with the fact that Rodgers only has three more years left of club control. It seems like he just arrived, but three more years of club control, whereas Edward Cabrera has six years of club control. So um, Brendan Rodgers, free agent after 2025, you would still have Edward Cabrera for three more seasons. If you don't make a trade like that, you are really banking on a lot of your young starting pitchers to develop. I don't even know that they have five young young starting pitchers uh, that that will be able to contribute in that capacity in four or five years at a point in which Cal Freeland will be at the tail end of his deal. Antonio Sensatella will be at the end of his deal. And Herman Marquez might be with another team. Uh, this is his final guaranteed year uh, with the Rockies. He does have a club option uh, or the team has a club option for 2024. So uh, they would have to extend him uh, if they wanted to keep that rotation together. So uh, you, you have to get creative and, and look, you have to give a little to get a little, and I think uh, the Rockies might be too worried uh, and have been too worried in the past about what it looks like to give in order to get. I think those are uh, those two points are really they they hit it they 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 hit the exact reason why the Rockies are just not active in the trade market. Number one, they're worried about giving up giving up too much to for what they're getting because of the over evaluation effect of the fact that they're just they they oh they 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 considered their their um, prospects and their players to be more valuable than maybe they really are and then secondly just kind of the they've just been snake bitten in the past so much you, you know both free agency and and in the trade market that um you know that they're just gun shy they just don't want to do it because it's just they've been you know it you know and that goes to the whole draft and develop um mantra and um you know draft and develop yeah it's good it's good for a team like this in colorado where it's hard to win baseball games just anyway you're already kind of at a disadvantage because of cores and the course hangover and everything else but then at some point you need to you need to uh break the seal on that and start again and, and try to do that right because you need to take advantage of all the different ways you can win without spending what the dodgers spend without spending uh even what the padres spend you got two huge spenders you know in this division Particularly the Padres now. The Dodgers are trying to. The Giants aren't shy either about it. Yeah, right. So and they'll they'll spend too. So um, you need to figure out other ways. If you're not willing to spend that much money, you need to figure out other ways to do it. Meaning, sign players um, efficiently. You know, sign them so that you're not you're not signing a guy. You're not giving seventy million dollar. Ian, De I love Ian Desmond, really. You know, but you're not giving a guy who's not a seventy million dollar player seventy million dollars. And then on the trade front. Um, actually making deals that make sense and and really digging down and drilling down to the va true value of what you have. I agree. No, nobody's ever been shy about saying this. I mean, everybody, it's been out there a bunch. But why don't they follow more of a Tampa model then? Because Tampa doesn't, this, they do some trades, but they, as many as you always talk about, they find 2.0 war guys in the seat cushions, right? Um, that's just, I don't know, is that scouting? Is that just, I mean, we know their analytics are off the charts in terms of what they are able to do in that regard. But if you're not going to, you know, you're, you know, Bill Schmidt knows that every draft is going to produce him maybe two, maybe maybe a third big leaguer. To build a team, an entire team that way is virtually impossible unless you want to build it for a decade or more. And if you're not going to trade people, then maybe you got to go out and find them without spending huge free agent money, but find them the way Tampa finds them. Why can't they do that? I, I, 
go back to when they uh, they, they christened McGregor Square uh, with McGregor Square and hearing speeches about the Rockies not wanting to bring in mercenaries, not wanting to bring in players that, you know, I guess weren't true Rockies. And uh, if you operate like the, the Tampa Bay Rays, where, you know, you're just trading uh, anyone and, and, and everyone, and you just should pack a duffel bag when you go to the ballpark because you never know if you're going to uh, get dealt to, to another team, all those guys essentially become mercenaries to a degree, a much lesser degree. But going back to what your, your point was earlier, Mark, about in the early 2000s and, and with attendance, I think in the early 2000s they, they did operate a little bit like the Rays, maybe not terribly well, but there was a, a rotating cast of characters. You know? Oh, yes, Dan O'Dowd was good at that. Yeah, yeah. After you know Larry Walker, you know he he wrapped up there in the early two thousands. All you had was was Todd Helton, you know, but Bichette and Vinny Castilla traded in the the same off season, I think, in uh, nineteen ninety nine. Talk about getting nothing back. Yeah. yeah, no kidding. So they didn't have those recognizable names. That's one of the reasons why I think they they're going to sus- they can sustain at least the next couple years uh, while they wait for these young guys uh, is. Besides the fact that Colorado's population has just grown tenfold, and uh, we've got just—I I feel like we have a lot more people uh, traveling here and, and vacationing here. And when you think about uh, spending some time in Denver, one of the top things on your list—if uh, you're even if you're not a baseball fan, if you're a sports fan, or even just someone who likes to do things—you got to go to Coors Field. So that's going to help them out. And and Rockies fans—they've got those names, right? Um, say what you will about you know them maybe not having that national star power, but Charlie Blackman's got one more year left, so you're still going to the ballpark to watch him, and and we'll see if he's got another year or two uh, possibly left in him. It wouldn't shock me uh, if they agreed to uh, a little extension here for uh, another year for for 24, 25. Ryan McMahon, Kyle Freeland, Senzatella, like those guys are going to be around for a while, so there are still those recognizable names. So I think they've learned from those mistakes in the 2000s with uh, with Trader Dan. Uh, and and moving those those pieces around and that didn't work for them so no it didn't work i i think with the rockies is if they try something once and it doesn't work they they never go back to it ever right. again and you understand that kind of you know rationale but at the same time you just might not have done it right the first time so uh this is by no means me saying hey they should uh, try to put together a super bowl pen again no uh but the next time that they do it which you know it that that could be around the corner in 5 6 years uh, when they're incredibly relevant, they just got to do a better job at it. So don't entirely rule it out. Again, the the, the point uh, underscoring that point that this time, if you start to play the kids and you start to um, kind of go back to the the, two, the early two thousands model, it might it might turn out differently because just to, the demographics a little different. Now you have a situation where got people are coming to the ballpark to watch a losing team already. What makes a difference? And you still have enough of an of you know got a guy in left field who is Chris Bryant. You know, look into his eyes and he'll you'll you'll buy a ticket. You know, and so it's like just that's that you have that. And so um, maybe this time around it, the experiment would be a little bit different. They'll never call it a rebuild. They'll always say we're in t- we're in contention, but fine, you know, as long as it's a rebuild, you know, or as long as it's something sort of like that uh, in the Rockies mold. And again, you got to figure out who's going to pan out and who's not, or or who has a good chance to pan out and who's not in terms of the the the, the prospects, because then you can mark down on 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 just simply on a diamond who's going to be where, and then see what your holes are, and then try to figure that part out, and then deal with the whole how do we win at altitude thing, mm-hmm. uh, which is always the elephant in the room, you know, which was, which is interesting. <laughs> it's interesting because when Charlie Finley almost brought the A's here in the seventies, it would have been very, very apt to be, to have an elephant as the logo because the <laughs> elephant in the ballpark 
would always be the ballpark. And so, um, and again, once you have those guys, hopefully you have a couple of guys who can hit some home runs because then you can return to kind of having the home field advantage that they used to have in the nineties. Um, and, 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 and don't, and not worry as much about losing the 40 games you will lose on the road. I, I remember that period very well, man. I was in high school and I was actually attending a, a baseball camp in uh, Florida over the winter break um, and talking to Dennis Leonard of the Royals was there and we're talking to him. He asked me about pitching in Denver because the A's were rumored to be moving to Denver. And I said, I don't look fine by me. I don't have any problem with it. Looks good. But the, if the a, Oakland A's had moved here in, in 1978 or whenever it was, they'd still be playing at Mile High Stadium, right? There would be no Coors right. Field. Charlie Finley wasn't going to build Coors Field. There wasn't going to be any of that. They'd still be playing at a baseball, at a football stadium. So that's funny to think back to. We know this. It's better A. It's better than Mount Davis, man. Yeah, well, maybe. Mount Davis. I cannot. Never, not maybe. You never yeah, saw Mount a game. Davis, Mount Davis. I don't care. I don't care if I have to sit in a blizzard watching the uh, Colorado Athletics. I, you know, the the Mount Davis is one of the most <laughs> offensive things that offensive offensive things that have been yeah. uh, built in in, in okay. sports that I've ever I, seen. And I used to I, go to that park as a kid. That that park it. was beautiful for a while. But you guys, neither one of you, I don't think ever saw a, a, a baseball game at Mile High Stadium, did you? Don't care. Uh, it, it can't be worse it, than watching. It, it like, was staring out, staring out at that monstrosity. It was a nightmare. Davis. Well, there was a nightmare. There was a monstrosity left center, left and left center, Mile High Stadium too. I mean, you know, not, the largest, not not, not one the, as big as Mount Davis. Covering up, literally covering up the nice hills, the Oakland East Bay Hills back there. Man, I, like, I know. Listened in the sun. I could wax poetic about it. Okay, but you understand you're talking about the largest movable structure in North America. When they move, when they gl- had, had the left field stands at Mile High Stadium glide backwards. On a on a little film of water hey, to move it back into position for baseball, and the ball do not fall. denigrate the original rock that pile. That ball flew out of that ballpark way faster than it flies out of Coors Field. Trust me, way faster. Stop making excuses um, for your ERA, get, Mark. We're gonna get. I, I actually did okay at Mile High Stadium. Much well, at least as a minor leaguer, better than I did as a big leaguer. But listen, we'll get Joy Meyer on this program one time. Hit the longest home run ever measured at Mile High Stadium, 582 feet. I was in the dugout. I'll never. I still have a scar on the top of my head where I hit my head on the top of the dugout, standing up to watch this ball land in the upper deck. Joey hit three that night. Um, but, I mean, it was nothing compares to Mile High Stadium. But anyway, I digress. We know what this roster is going to be this year, right? We're pretty much. It, I don't see Patrick much movement here roster wise before they go. They go to spring training. Maybe they add somebody. But and they've quietly done some things. They brought in Brett Suter, right? Uh, we had Pierce Johnson on a week ago. So they've quietly been bringing in some guys trying to at least reinforce the bull. I don't know if is going to be a starter or a reliever, but they've quietly done some of what the things they actually have done well in the past, Manny, as we pointed out, finding a Chad Cool. Like, like they've, they've made Brett Suter as this year's Chad Cool. We know this roster is going to be what it is. They're going to let the young guys play. I'm on record. Ezekiel Tovar is going to win the National League Rookie of the Year. That's my prediction. I'll stand by it. I've actually looked online and I've seen, seen a couple of their odds makers put him at at the top of the leaderboard for that. Mostly because of opportunity. Talent meets opportunity, right? Are we expecting Tobart to be the, the guy or are there other young guys, Patrick, that are going to be able to, given an opportunity, really stand out this season? Yeah, I think Tovar is probably the most likely one to uh, you know, win, win the, the National League Rookie of the Year award. We'll wait and see if he, he will be starting opening day. I think they're going to give him that opportunity. Uh, Billy and, and Buddy both you know, said that. Uh, maybe not exactly that's his job to lose, but you know he's got to prove it. You know he's gonna be given the opportunity uh, if he somehow struggles and, and seems like he's not ready, or, or somehow the the groin injury that uh, sidelined him for about two months in the minors is an issue. Then you know you're gonna go to Alan Trejo there, and uh, 
in a pinch, uh, if, if not, you know, trying to work out a deal somewhere uh, frantically in spring training. But but Tovar is probably the best bet. You know, uh, Tolia still has rookie eligibility, uh, as did a guy like Sean Bouchard, who I think really surprised a lot of people. I think he might be more of a uh, of a platoon type player. Uh, I think it might be too late in the season uh, for Zach Veen to to garner any uh, National League Rookie of the Year award votes. Uh, he did finish his season the final three weeks uh, at Double A Hartford. Uh, looked overmatched, you know. Uh, Director of Player Development Chris Forbes, you know, said that you know he got his butt kicked in the Eastern League, uh, and that's that's probably a good thing for him. And we know that's the that's the biggest jump going from uh, you know A ball high A up to Double A, and uh, you know he he got he got it uh, shown to him a little bit. But then he goes down to Arizona and is the Offensive Player of the Year. So uh, I think Veen will be a guy that could contribute late in the year, and and maybe that's your left-handed bat that you feel a little bit better about for the future, but I think those are, are, are going to be the key guys uh, going forward as far as, you know, rookies that, you know, could be uh, contributing. A lot of the guys that were added to the 40-man roster, you know, um, I don't know if we'll see a ton of them. Probably some of the relievers like a Blair Calvo or, or a Riley Pint, but uh, relief pitchers in general don't really garner too much. Uh... Patrick, I want to ask you, man, and we, we put this, you know, it's interesting, we put this question to Jim Callis because he's the prospect guy and we kind of, you know, we asked him the same question as we just asked you basically about the, 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 the prospects. And then we also asked him like, it's hard to do this. You ask a manager or anybody with the organization and they won't, they won't fall for it. They won't bite. They won't take the bait. They will never say when they're going to start being competitive. But when do you think what looking out a few years, when do you think that this team is going to be in the postseason again? Well, I, I don't know when they're going to be in the postseason exactly, but, but when they're going to, you know, contend, I, I think that the best case scenario is, 2024 is the Rockies version of 2016 where they had all the okay. in place, you know, that you're on the cusp basically on the cusp. Yeah. That that's the best case scenario. Um, maybe more realistic is, you know, they're around 500, uh, you know, again, maybe look strong in the first half of the season before falling backwards in 2025. Uh, but I, w- I would say 25, 26 is really when uh, their, their core group of guys, you know, all the way from uh, guys that were, were down in that Fresno Grizzlies team in, in low A in the Cal League uh, that were just dominant on the first and second half. Adel Amador, uh, Warming Bernabel was was on that club for a while. He's now on the 40-man the roster. Yankee El Fernandez, a lot of good young starting pitchers. Jordy Vargas, uh, Brian Castillo, uh, uh, he's a little bit more on the fringes. But, uh, you know, there, there are those pieces that you can be hopeful about. Uh, Gabriel Hughes is another player that, uh, from inside the organization, they feel that he can move through the minors fairly quickly I and mean, he, he pitched in one of the postseason games for fresno so uh not bad for a kid who was just drafted out of out of gonzaga uh in the first round this past draft so i think 25 is is when you really start to see them come together so so maybe next off season there'll be a lot more activity as they kind of prepare for that we know a lot of teams will will start making those moves on the free agent side to to kind of prepare for uh that kind of contention but uh if it doesn't happen next off season then uh, definitely expect it in the 24-25 offseason, and 25 being the year uh, where, you know, the Rockies are, are a little bit more of a force in the NL West, especially when you consider that the some of the other teams in the NL West may not be a force because the Padres are, I think they, they might be holding on by a thread where their window of contention is is right now. They don't have any more prospects in their farm system. So um, I, I like that from the Rockies' standpoint of, of kind of recognizing that the Dodgers are going to be the Dodgers, Giants are kind of laying in the weeds a little bit there. Can't can't figure them out. They can spend when they when they need to. They they try to uh, with Judge and Correa. We know how that turned out, unfortunately, uh, for them. 
Uh, but the Padres are kind of that that new force, and the Diamondbacks, according to Bill Schmidt, are uh, a step or two ahead of them as far as their rebuild and, and their young prospects. So, you know, the next two three seasons really it's just not going to be in their cards based on their division. So you know what, I up twenty five twenty six as being a better time to to go a little bit more all in uh, on on being contenders in the West. So uh, so, so basically. Many expansion realignment may have happened by that point too. Yeah, yeah, and and basically, if you're saying 25, 26 is when the Iraqis start getting exciting, it'll be the summer that Todd Helton gets inducted into the Hall of Fame, probably. So well, hopefully, that happens good timing. That. I, I want to talk about another young guy, though. Uh, I want to talk about Justin Lawrence. Is he ready? Is, I mean, we've gotten we've been teased by this guy the last couple of years, and and then Jake Bird too a little bit. They have some young pitchers that Hughes mentioned on the cusp. Maybe I I, I don't know. Are they? Are I mean. This yo-yoing back and forth between the minor leagues, you know, people say it's it's, it's valuable because they get to get take a break and not pitch. Listen, I hated that. I it just it it I couldn't build a rhythm when that was going on. So I don't know how these guys, these relief pitchers, handle being bounced up and down between here in Albuquerque, expected to fill in and then rest and then whatever. Uh, are they going to stick with that plan? Is that what what we're hearing? Yeah, I think Bird and Lawrence are going to be really counted upon for for some innings. I mean, Bird was a guy that as soon as he was called up, he immediately earned Bud Black's trust. And and, and I asked him about that point blank, like, you know, it, it's rare that a rookie pitcher, you know, gets gets put in some of the spots or, or at least, again, gains that trust where, all right, hey, maybe we're we're down two or three runs, but keep it close. We're going to put you in this game, in this spot. Uh, and, and the only time Buddy could even remember a young guy coming up and gaining that kind of trust was Francisco Rodriguez with the angels. And again, Jake bird is, is no K rod. Uh, but again, uh, he's, he's a consistent reliever. And I think Lawrence is going to benefit from having consistent time uh, on, on the 26 man roster and, and, and being in some, some big innings. He's playing for team Panama uh, in the world baseball classics. Hmm. That doesn't kind of screw up his schedule a little bit. Uh, but the dude's got a fantastic slider. I mean, he has, Adam Adovino 2.0 written all over him as far as a guy who, if he can stay healthy uh, and, and keep it in the zone, I mean, he's going to miss a lot of bats. He's going to be really effective. Uh, he's long been like, you know, the closer of the future for this team. Uh, and considering he still has so many years of uh, club control, uh, he very well could be, you know, a, a closer type. So those are, those are two guys that uh, Buddy's going to, you know, have to count on a lot. I still think there are a couple of relievers short. I think they're going to have to agree to some minor league deals uh, with some guys, um, that that could end up, you know, jumping on the the forty man, kind of like Ty Block was last year, uh, as that like long reliever type. I think Ryan Rawlson's also another guy uh, that you know because he's he's just not had a ton of innings as a starter the last couple seasons. I mean, really going back to twenty twenty with the the minor league season ending, I think you could see him uh, becoming you know one of those lefty threats in the bullpen alongside Gilbreth, assuming he's still healthy, which Schmidt and Black did say he was. Uh, and and Brent Suter. So now you could actually have, believe it or not, we could live in a world in which the Rockies have three, count them, three left-handed relievers in the same bullpen at the same time. That's just and that's just incredible to think about. I mean, three—that's tripling what they had last year. That's right, man. You always talk about and not one. only. That, I mean, not only that. I mean, sometimes they just didn't have anybody. Man, you always talk about wanting to go back to the idea of um, the, the Blake Street Bombers years. Have the bullpen just keep. I'm it a, close, I'm right? a little biased. But I know, but keep I the think, bull, keep think, it close. Yeah. Keep it close, right? Have the bullpen guys just keep it close. Yes. Do they have enough arms? I mean, if that's the mantra moving forward, and I don't know if Bill Schmidt's embraced that or not, but I mean, it seems logical. Like Patrick just said, you really can't have enough relievers in that circumstance uh, to do that sort of thing. And, and you want your pit starters to give you five innings. Heck, when they went to the World Series, their starters were giving them four innings. 
Yeah. Um, so well, there you go. I mean, you just mentioned it. That, that, you know, in '95 when they went to the postseason that first time, there was a surprise first wild card of the National League, and then to the World Series when they that made that miracle run to the World Series. Bullpen matters. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's hard to find. again. Relievers are wildly uh, inconsistent, even within their own careers, like from year to year. So yeah. it's hard. It's really hard to build a good one. But you know, when you talk to those guys from that those years in the early '90s, they just said, "Look, we were just so confident." that we were going to come back because, I mean, our starting pitchers didn't care what their ERA was. They just wanted to make sure that they gave us a, a chance to be in the game so that later on, if the bullpen could hold it there, then we would come back and win. I mean, the last game of that 95 season, they had to win it to get into the to the, yep. to the postseason, and they did. And there. They, they were down – yeah, they were down 8-2. to two. Yep. Um, and Joe Girardi said 8-2, uh, to two, that's like 2-1 to one at Coors Field, especially pre-humidor. <laughs> And uh-huh. so they're like, we're, we knew we were going to win that game. And they did. They won that game. So it's 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 course field needs to stop. We've talked about it at ad nauseum. Course field needs to stop being the the bugaboo, the big, you know, the boogeyman. It needs to be Embrace your it. home field. Yep. It needs to be like, you know what? Like Ellis Burks would always say when they fly back on the plane from a road trip, nightmare on Blake Street coming back, you know, and we're the nightmare, not the ballpark itself. Mm-hmm. Like as in we are going to absolutely bludgeon you to death offensively and we're going to outslug you and then we're going to go lose 40 games on the road and we'll be in it because we win 55 to 60 games at home and i think that's the way to do it. they can't exactly do that right now because they're not in a position to build that type of team but hope you know i think that's just the model that worked how's how's the new hitting coach going to fit in patrick um we, we talked about him a couple weeks ago hensley mullins but um is he going to bring more more power out of what they already have. These guys have more home runs in them. I don't know that they can have any less. Uh, I'll, I'll say that. So yeah, <laughs> well put. I think he'll be uh, he'll be able to do at least a little of that. Obviously, last season, you know, being part of that Yankee staff that saw Aaron Judge hit 62 home runs, players are probably going to be listening maybe a little bit more intently, especially when you have the, the younger roster that they do have. Um, so I, I, I think you know his his wisdom will will certainly go a long way. Uh, as far as that is concerned, you know he's uh, he's been around the block a bunch. You know was uh, Bruce Bochy's uh, bench coach there in, in San Francisco for uh, his last couple of seasons. So you know he he does have a really strong pedigree. Uh, that being said, you know so did Dave Magadan. Fair to say, uh, even even better than than Hensley Mullins uh, does at at this point. So, you know, he's going to get that opportunity. We'll we'll kind of uh, wait and see see what happens. But yeah, power has to be one of those those things that he unlocks with so many of their their guys. Uh, and I think if you have a healthy Chris Bryant, I think that's going to obviously uh, do a lot uh, besides just for line of protection. But he should very easily launch twenty twenty five home runs, uh, not thirty thirty five or forty. Uh, but probably closer to 25 home runs uh, from Chris Bryant this season if he's healthy. And, you know, it, it, the bar is not super high for, for Bam Bam. So um, <laughs> it's kind of like if you're going to take a new job, that's kind of good. That's a good place to be where you're not, you know what, it's it kind of, and you're not expected to exactly win a division. It's not New York, you know, and, and, and he's been there in that pressurized situation. So in a lot of ways, this could be a good situation for him and the Rockies because generally speaking, when you're relaxed, you do, a better job and and you're able to communicate things better to guys. And like you said, Patrick, they, you're coming from a place where a guy hit 62 home runs last year. So um, that, like you said, the players might actually, you know, pay a little closer attention even than usual. So that's good. Well, it's a new year. We hope there might be some new approaches. He, he Hensley Mullins being one of those. Um, they're going to, they're going to, they're rebuilding. We know they're rebuilding um, whether they say it or not. And I think everybody should embrace that as we've talked about in the past. But it doesn't mean they're not going to try to win. I mean, Patrick, if you had to pick a number, 
Are we looking at a team that can win 75 to 78 games? I'd probably take the under on that uh, right now as, as, as things are. You know, it, it's funny how uh, in 2022 they essentially brought back the same team as, as in 2021. Yes, of course, they lost Story and Gray, but, you know, they brought in a, a bunch of veteran guys on one-year deals as well as Chris Bryant. So for the most part, I, I feel like it was very much the same team, and they went from, uh, what was it, 70 70- – five wins uh, and or 76 wins uh, down to, to 68. So uh, that was kind of a, a surprise that the same roster produced less wins. They'll probably surprise uh, this year and, and win more than that. I, the number I have in my head right now here uh, with was still a month ago before spring training is, is 70 wins. So uh, they'll probably be a little bit better than they're, they're projected to be, but fifth place in the NL West, probably. This, they, they tend to be a team that when you predict uh, a high number of wins, they underperform when you pick a really low number of wins, they overperform, but still aren't great. So it's just, it's just, it's the reason why this team has never lost a hundred nor won a hundred games. It's it maybe impossible for a team that plays a course field um, at, for their home games to, to lose or win a yeah. hundred games. So that's, that's right. That's very true. One of the really unique statistics out there. I think the Rockies are the only organization that can claim that, right? Never having won or lost. Don Baylor, Don Baylor had that right from day one. He oh, yes, said he did. First year, he said, we're not going to lose 100 games. I was, sitting in, I was sitting 10 feet from him when he said that. He said, yep. we are not losing 100 games. And he was yep. right. We didn't. We lost 95, but we did not lose 100 games. Hey, Patrick, we really mediocrity, appreciate it. Mediocrity forever, man. That's that's that's, that's as, long, as long as there are people in the stands watch, paying for tickets. Right? Patrick, we appreciate it. I know you're gearing up to head down to Arizona in, in a month or so. So we appreciate taking some time to join us. And we will look forward to having you again. And uh, perhaps seeing you in spring training. Thanks, Patrick. Looking forward to it. Take care, man. All right, now, Manny, your turn to, to take the ball and close it out. Yep, coming up out of the bullpen. Right, we'll be back with Manny's closer right after this. this is the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. Stay with us. For the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars, past and present, look no further than DenverAutographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations: Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall. Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at DenverAutographs.com. The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out Stoney'sBarandGrill.com. Happy New Year, everyone. With the new year come inevitable resolutions and the dawn of hope for a fresh start for many people and organizations. One of them, of course, is the Colorado Rockies. What will 2023 bring for the Rockies? What will we be looking back on and talking about in December? I'll offer the following predictions. Chris Bryant will play in around 110 games, missing time due to foot problems and perhaps other injuries. He'll have an 860 OPS and will finally hit his first Coors Field home run as a Rocky, one of 21 homers on the year. Brendan Rodgers will make his first All-Star team. Elihuris Montero will hit 20 or more homers. Ezekiel Tovar will finish in the top three for NL Rookie of the Year. Kyle Freeland will have his best year since 2018, when he finished fourth in Cy Young Award voting. The Rockies will be really bad on the road, like more than just the usual bad. A lot of young players trying to get used to the Coors hangover will make things even more difficult than they already are away from Coors Field. The Rockies will win 73 games. There you have it. The most important positive that could come from the upcoming season for the Rockies is strong performances from prospects that lead to optimism that there's a young core to build around in the years to come. It's long past time for the Rockies to build from the bottom up. The Arenado story LeMahieu era has been over for a while now. Charlie Blackman is in the final year of his contract and perhaps his career. 
It's time for a new era of Rockies baseball. There will be growing pains, and it continues to be difficult to win baseball games for a team in Colorado. But at least it seems that something different, however it turns out, is on the horizon. Manny getting that arm in shape as he closes out our first episode of 2023. Special thanks to Patrick Lyons of DNVR for being our guest. Remember, we're only about six weeks from pitchers and catchers reporting, so you better start getting ready too. And thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.